You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. So glad to have you with us. We hope that this podcast does for you what that third cup of coffee does for you. It just kind of unlocks your brain a little bit, gives you some room to think and to dream. Recording today from Studio 1G here in our family home. Studio 1G looks suspiciously like our garage. I'm out in our garage today. I am. And if you look around, it looks a lot like your garage. There's some bikes. There's a five-gallon can of gasoline. There's some pool noodles. That is my working situation this day. But it's going to work just fine. I know a lot of people have an idea of what a podcast setup looks like. Almost never does it look like what you think it does. In fact, this garage looks better than some radio stations I've been in. If you've ever visited a radio station, it rarely looks like what you imagine on the air. I was thinking as I was setting up in the garage that a couple of decades ago, I was serving on staff at a church in Tennessee, and we were getting ready to do a drama. They had asked uh, someone to go speak to the local Christian radio station. They wanted to interview somebody about the presentation. And because I was the low man on a short totem pole to begin with, and nobody else wanted to do it, they sent me. I drive out there, and I get to where the radio station is. I've listened to it. I've never been there before. I get there, I realize the whole station is in a trailer house. Like, literally, it's a radio station with a hitch on the front. I'm sorry, a mobile home. Call it what you want. There's a hitch on the, tr- on the radio station. So I go and I knock on the front door. Guy comes and answers the door. I recognize his voice because he's on the air all the time. He asks me to come in and sit down in the waiting room. And I begin to think, well, maybe there's another building around somewhere. But when the time comes to go on the air, he says, come with me back to the studio. And he walks down the little hallway in the trailer house to the back bedroom where they have built a full-on radio production studio in this back bedroom. Now the news is playing and then it goes to music the whole time he's eating an apple. He says, I'll ask you a couple of questions. The music fades down. He asks me the first question. As I start to answer the question, he drops his apple and it rolls underneath the desk. He disappears like he's a squirrel going down a hole. I can't find him. I'm answering him, but what he asked me probably warranted about a 10-second answer. And at the 10-second mark, the guy is nowhere to be found. 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I promise you, I must have talked from f- to maybe 45 seconds or a minute before he popped up behind the desk with the apple in his mouth like he's a feeder pig on a spigot. He goes back to music. And while the music is playing, he looks at me and says, hey, good job covering for me. You should be in radio. And just like that, hey, a dream was born. And here we are sitting in the garage, just like I was back then. What's on your mind? I hope that uh, you are doing well during this time of confinement, of uh, just laying low and not being all that busy as you're staying home. Uh, We are doing well. Been thinking a ton about the gap between Passover and Pentecost that we are in right now. And what I'm really believing the Lord is going to reveal to us. I think that we are going to see something powerful happen as we begin to open up our nation, begin to meet again. I think people are going to be hungry. I think they've spent a lot of time in their homes pondering things like mortality. I would not be surprised at all. In fact, I kind of expect this is going to cause a spiritual resurgence at some level. Very, very excited about that. Talked a little bit about it 
on Sunday with our friends that we meet with in Zoom. Getting ready to talk more about it this weekend as well. We'll probably go ahead and post the video on that. Today, though, a lot less focused on that. We're going to be all over the map uh, taking some questions that we've submitted from Instagram. And I'm going to go through, I think, maybe like five. We should be able to get five. Let's go ahead and see what we can find for the first question. Question number one, what about women in leadership? Should they teach? Now, this is a bit of a hot button to some people, to other people. This is settled. They don't even think about this being a question. My perspective is formed by Scripture and by my own history. Now, let's just be honest. Everyone's is. Everyone's perspective is formed by Scripture at some level, but also just by what they're comfortable with. Now, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the biblical issues. What people struggle with about women in ministry generally are not biblical issues. It's cultural. It bothers them. It feels weird. It's, it just is not what they're used to. And if they can find a Bible verse to hang it on, then they'll go with that. Two of the verses or passages they use the most often are 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says women should remain silent in the church. They're not allowed to speak, but they must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, it would appear by looking at these two quick passages that, of course, a woman shouldn't teach or a woman shouldn't even speak in the church, apparently. But are these universally directive? Or are they a prescriptive comment on a specific situation? Let's look at those in reverse order for just a second. 1 Corinthians is not giving a proactive biblical order against women teaching. It is correcting a problem. In the church meetings, the women would sit in the balcony or off to the side, and they would often call out to their husbands for clarification for, for a point if they didn't understand something. The comment about remaining silent in the church was regarding order, not ministry. So that really doesn't work. The Second Timothy passage could look a little more directive, and some would say that it is. Some well-known, smart, and I'd even say godly people think that it is. But I don't think they're consistent with their interpretation. And that's very offensive when you say that. They would say, I believe the Bible literally front to back. I do too, but I also believe in consistency, meaning if it's all literally a directive, then you need to follow it all literally. Immediately before one of these passages... It tells women not to wear braids. And so if we are applying this passage as anything other than cultural, then we are not allowing women to wear braids any more than we're allowing to teach. Of course we allow women to wear braids. So why do we not give on this other issue? Most of the pushback to women in ministry is cultural, not biblical. To the point that those who want to hold to the standard of not allowing women to preach find all of these crazy ways around it. And they say, well, she's not preaching, she's teaching a Bible study. Or they allow her to do the same thing and call it something different. I've even known church organizations that will have a man and a woman in a very same or similar role, but he'll be a pastor and she'll be a minister because they feel better about not putting her on the same level. How one lands on this is largely informed by one's perspective on two ends of a spectrum of how you view men and women. You've probably heard of the debate between complementarianism and egalitarianism. Here's the short version of this if you don't know what these words mean. Complementarianism says that men and women are inherently different in biology and purpose. 
They are two pieces of a two-piece puzzle. And there is some truth to it, but generally it's also used as an excuse to tell women what they can't do because it's a man's role, like preach. Likewise, the natural extension of complementarianism tends to treat single people as incomplete because they haven't found the other piece of their puzzle. And of course, that's not true. So that's complementarianism. The other extreme would be egalitarianism. Egalitarianism would say that we are different biologically, but we're wired exactly the same. Feminist and masculine tendencies are learned. No married person totally believes this in your heart. You know that you are wired differently. Now, the positive is that it stresses the equality of responsibility and opportunity between men and women. The negative is it dismisses the genuine differences in the male and female approach to things. Now, where am I on this? How do I look at all this? Let me quote my friend John Tyson. Have you met my wife? I was not given the option of being a complementarian. Seriously. From how I've interpreted the scripture, I have no problem with women teaching. I have a greater problem with not allowing them to teach or preach because we're missing out. This is the way uh, we have lived our lives. It actually made me laugh. Within the last three years, all of my older boys that are now 27, 23, and 18, all three of my boys have come to me and said, Dad, did you know that some people have a problem with women in ministry? Like that had never occurred to them just because we've never ever lived that way. Even so, I do understand our differences as men and women. I am better with a wife than I was without. And if you think I'm unbearable now, you should have known me before. I think it's true of her as well. I believe in women teaching and preaching because I don't believe the Bible prohibits it. In fact, I believe the opposite. The Old and New Testament are full of strong women leaders like Deborah, who was a prophet and a judge to the nation. Deborah would make a complementarian's head explode. Her husband's name was Labdoth, and you've never heard of him until right now. You come into the New Testament, and they explain the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2.18 by referring back to the prophet Joel when it says, Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I believe in women preaching, teaching, and leading Because in my experience, it's profitable. And in my interpretation of the Bible, it's not prohibited. If you struggle with the validity of a woman teaching, go to the bonus episode of this podcast. We published uh, an episode Friday or Saturday, Kelsey preaching in 2011 in Alaska. And it is the most timely word for now. You'll be amazed. In the days to come, we will not be able to afford this debate about can women preach. The issue will go away. And it will go away because the Lord is going to pour His Spirit out on men and women in an undeniable way. My pain around it is that we are silencing strong, godly voices in the meantime because of their sex. So how do I feel? I feel, let them preach. Loose them and let them go. Question number two. Let's see, in 30 years of ministry, what's the top thing that you would do differently? Oh my goodness, am I only supposed to have one? In 30 years of ministry, here's a couple of things I would do differently. Um, In the first decade of ministry, I would have explored outside my camp more. We were a part of a denomination that was a great group of people, and we just didn't look very far beyond that. And I think I missed out on a a lot of great relationships because there were people in, in other camps that I could have learned a lot from, 
I would have honed my my uh, leadership skills more than I did as a young man. Um, I would have insisted on ministering in tandem with my wife in all instances because the couple of times over 30 years where it has not worked for us to work side by side, uh, everyone has suffered, myself, her, and the people we are ministering to. Um, and finally, I think I would have learned to trade or developed a side business. And that doesn't sound like leaving ministry. It just means I've got the capacity to do more. And uh, we could have used the finances. I wish I'd have done that. What would I repeat looking back in 30 years? I would repeat living life with the default yes. Kelsey and I do not drag out big decisions usually. Um, and it is not made out for an easy life, but it is demolished boredom. And we have a tendency to say yes unless the Lord makes it clear to say no. And so that's something that I would do. So there's your answer to that question. Question number three, what is a Christian response to COVID-19? Now, I'm going to be real honest. I don't fully understand this question. I just don't. So I'm going to approach it a couple of different ways. What is my response to COVID-19? It is a natural phenomenon. What is the Christian response to gravity? Gravity is what it is. You deal with the ramifications of gravity, and gravity always wins. Gravity applies to Christians at least until the rapture. And COVID-19 is a natural phenomenon, and it doesn't necessarily demand a Christian response in the sense of its natural sense. Now, maybe I've got the question wrong. Maybe the question is, what is my response to other people's responses? And uh, I don't think much about other people's responses. I'm responsible for the people in my sphere of influence, and more pointedly, in my family, and I'm not responsible for other people's responses, and in not being responsible for them, I don't think about them that much, to be quite honest. Now, the question could have been phrased, how do we respond to whether or not we think the country should open up quickly or slowly? Because way more people are talking about that than are actually talking about COVID-19. Everyone's forgot that there's a pandemic. We're all arguing about how quickly we open. And I'm not sure that there's a universal Christian response to this, but I know there are some unchristian responses because being jerky can happen in just about any situation. From what my friends tell me is on Facebook, which I'm not on, I know that people who I know feel that there are some that are panicking at both extremes. Some think they're going to get the virus if they open the wrong email. They're convinced COVID is coming for you. There are others that are furious with the government for steps being taken to keep them safe. And in many cases, people on both sides are attaching their faith to the feeling and painting the other side as unchristian for either A, not cowering in fear, or B, not rioting at the courthouse. This is how I am thinking about the constraints that we are under, and do we protest or do we embrace the constraints? This is how I'm thinking about it. As believers... We honor other people. My freedom, that maybe even is guaranteed by the Constitution, does not extend to scaring the elderly people. Can you imagine if you had a 90-year-old neighbor who was already frail, and you lurk in the alley between your homes in a Grim Reaper costume every night? Now, that might be your legal right, but you're cruel to exert your right. Right now, people are scared particularly elderly people, they know they're susceptible to this. A little kindness can go a long way. And we can't honor people when we are mocking their fear, even if we think their fear is illogical. So as believers, I think we honor people, and when they're fearful, we try and meet them somewhere in the middle. As believers, 
We also honor authority. Now, the church fails at this, even as we've had a resurgence of churches talking about a culture of honor. Many times when churches talk about a culture of honor, what they really mean is honoring people they agree with. The real measure of a culture of honor is how you honor those you disagree with, and in some ways we're getting a big fat F for that. Now, if you feel called to demonstrate, or you want to demonstrate, demonstrate. But do so respectfully and with good Christian sense. In Michigan, some protesters brought guns into the courthouse. Now understand, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I own guns. But that was dumb, at best, and potentially evil. Was it their legal right? Apparently it was. It's legal to carry a gun into the courthouse in Michigan. But we don't exercise every right all the time. Here's a just a simple way to show honor as you talk about leaders. And this is something that I've really tried to discipline myself to do. Use titles. Call the president by his title. Call the governor. Call the mayor by their title. I don't say, or I try not to say, Trump. Just like I tried not to say Obama. President Trump. President Obama. Before that, President Bush. President Clinton. Because we're dealing with an office more so than a person. And to, as believers, we're called to honor people who are in authority. You can honor your leaders by not deriding them personally. Finally, in thinking about this, I like to think about the fact that our rights are the last thing we should be concerned with defending. Don't confuse your constitutional rights with your Christian responsibilities, and don't pick up the banner of fighting for your rights until your responsibilities are met, and then don't confuse the two. I know some people that are saying they're trying to take away our right to assemble and worship, but when you scratch the surface, most of those people are really just more angry about having to wear a mask to Walmart. We are not being persecuted. We're being inconvenienced. The church has flourished under far harsher conditions than we are encountering. What are my feelings about COVID-19 and do we open up quickly or open up slowly? Breathe deep. Calm down. Jesus wins. Don't be a jerk. Question number four. Oh, this is a deep one. Is your last name with a short E after the L or a short A because... And here's the kicker on the question. You pronounce it both ways. That's true. I really do. Bolander, Bolander. It's pronounced both ways. And I don't care. I don't care how you say it. I think this is how it got started. My parents said Bolander. I, th I think my grandparents said Bolander. But people would always misspell it. So I started saying Bolander. And they still misspell it. They just misspell it differently. But if I'm talking fast or I'm getting lazy, I revert to Bolander. I'll probably continue to say it both ways. If I don't care, I don't care how you say it either. Finally, question number five. How old is too old to put out a fleece? Now, they are not talking about a fuzzy jacket, okay? If you're familiar with the story, Judges 6, 36 to 40, then Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So God had spoken to, to Gideon, told him he was going to save Israel. Israel's like, yeah, I think I'd like, to, I'd like to test this. So he puts out a fleece, and depending on where the dew is, he gets a confirmation from God. And of course, as the passage goes on, he tells God, 
let not your anger burn against me. Don't get mad, but just please, one more time, let me test this out. He tests it out again with the opposite parameters, and again, the Lord shows him. That's how he makes a decision. And people continue to do this kind of thing, maybe not with a physical fleece from a sheep, but they will say, Lord, if you're going to do this, then I need to see this happen. Historically, I've just not done this a whole lot. God, if you want me to X, Y, Z, you need to do this as a confirmation. But I understand why people do. Some people want very clear answers on everything. I just look at decision-making a little differently. I, uh, I look at the scripture. I look at where peace leads me. And uh, I've had friends in the opposite extreme. You know, there's a story about a kid in Bible college that prayed about everything. He would get up in the morning and stand in front of his closet and say, Oh, blessed and omnipotent Heavenly Father. What shoes would most glorify you? Oh, great and mighty king, which pants would you smile upon today for me to wear? Oh, God in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Which shirt would reflect your character today? He prayed about what to wear, and a voice would boom from heaven. I'm your father, not your mother. Get dressed and go to school. Some things you just act on. Even decision-making in the New Testament was a little different than we think about it at times. In the book of Acts, when they needed another apostle... They picked two people who were capable, and they just threw dice. Now, I understand on some issues you want very clear answers, and the Bible doesn't speak about it. Things like purchases. And uh, I know people who do this on just about everything, but to do it on every issue kind of falls into weirdness. How old is too old to lay out a fleece? I don't know. Are we saying how, how mature is too mature? Gideon was pretty mature. He was a man of character. He destroyed idols in his home, and his community. It was a brave act, even if he did it in the dark. He refused to take authority that was God's. In Judges 8, he says, The Lord will rule over you, not me. And you laugh at his process of putting out a fleece, but you know his name. In fact, there's a poem, a Spanish medieval poem written in Latin from 1147 that refers to the strength of Samson, and the sword of Gideon. He was a man that accomplished great things for God, and that's how he made his decisions at least a couple of times. Now, personally, I would not put out a fleece about something that I was deeply emotionally invested in. I would ask the Lord to speak other ways. I would not put out a fleece for the same thing repeatedly, because you're kind of making a vow. Lord, if you do this, I will. And to go back to him and say, and if you'll do it again, seems a little fishy. That said, it is a good way to settle an issue once and for all. If there's marital, marital disagreement about a fairly benign decision, but live by the fleece, die by the fleece, Gideon's do-over seemed to reflect kind of poorly on him. How old is too old? I don't know. How old is too old to inquire of the Lord? I hope I don't get to that point. I hope I don't get too old to ask God any way that I can. I also hope I don't live by putting a fleece out for everything, because... I don't know. It just makes me nervous. I hope you have had a good day today. I hope you feel like you've had your third cup of mental coffee. We are out of time. I'm going to step out of the garage, move on with life. Have a great day. Look forward to connecting with you again soon.